You have located Geekfest Rants, the entertainment podcast for genre geeks like you. Shall we play a game? Covering the world of vintage and current film and television since 2010. Game over, man. Game over. Featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all. So say we all. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. This is your station. But what am I actually doing here? I'm not going to tell you. Don't worry. You're going to figure it out. The last time I saw him, he was headed toward depths. And then he disappears. Something bad happened to him. You know what happened to him. If you came for answers, ask me what you don't know. What is Devs? This is the only principle you need to understand. Nothing ever happens without a reason. Everything was determined by something prior. They're fanatics. We need the police. You want to take them down? It's impossible. You knew I was going to come here. The sense that you were participating in life was only ever an illusion. Life is just something we watch unfold. What's inside? Everything. everybody and welcome once again to Geek Fest Rants. My name is Carlos Perone and today we are going to look at two sci-fi shows that I currently finished watching uh, that I was pretty much blown away by. One of them is the Alex Garland sci-fi show Devs. Really, really interesting. Very much like the creator of the show. It is right there in the type of films he makes. Now he has a series that he made and the second one is called raised by wolves another sci-fi series created by aaron guziwowski and produced by ridley scott that's a name you should be familiar with because this series screams ridley scott as far as i'm concerned very smart sci-fi and i'll go into that in a little bit and both shows right now are streamable devs on hulu and Raised by Wolves on HBO Max. So let's begin with Debs. Television is not the truth. Television is an amusement park. Television is a circus, a carnival, a traveling troupe of acrobats, storytellers, dancers, singers, jugglers, sideshow freaks, lion tamers, and football players. We're in the boredom killing business. Okay, I want to talk about two science fiction series that I just finished watching. And I got to give you a heads up that these are very trippy, mind-bending, 
heavy sci-fi themes that we're going to be dealing with. Now, just as it happens that not only have I just finished watching these two series, and I've been watching them kind of at the same time because they're all, you know, downloadable. So you can kind of, you can kind of, you know, watch them at your own speed. But at the same time, I also started reading a Star Trek book, which is something I almost never do. <laughs> I, I talked about this in the past. When it comes to books that come from a franchise, whether it's a Star Wars book or, or in this case, a Star Trek book, I stick to the original movie novelizations because the world of Star Trek and Star Wars and just about everything else is so gigantic when it comes to books. Um, the EU, if you will, of all of these different worlds are enormous and you cannot keep up with them just like i cannot keep up with collecting toys you know you can't be a completist when it comes to toys it's impossible to keep up with the volume of literature that comes out but because i was researching another topic for another show that i've been working on uh, having to do with let me think the particular thing that brought me to this book was uh, time travel and the whole thing introduction into this world of Star Trek of a of a temporal department of the Federation that is in charge of setting time straight. It kind of brought me to you want to know more about it. Again, granted, it's not canon because it's a book, but it's nice to see that somebody put so much thought into it. It's called Star Trek Department of Temporal Investigations, Watch the Clock by Christopher L. Bennett. So I am reading this book at the same time, and it is causing the same kind of mind pain and having to expand your interpretation of how time travel would work. That what's interesting is the fact that some of these concepts in this book get tapped into when I was watching Debs. There's a whole sequence about talking about, about a multiverse of multiple worlds happening at the same time with different possibilities in each one, kind of diverging from one into many. But anyway, this is the type of stuff that just like a crazy movie like Mandy, let's say, when you're dealing with an art film, in that particular case, it's kind of like fantasy horror. This is heavy science fiction. Heavy, 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 heavy science fiction. Let's start with Debs. Is a series created by Alex Garland. Now, if you guys remember Alex Garland, he's the guy that directed and wrote Annihilation, Ex Machina. He wrote Dread and a couple of other films. But as far as I'm concerned, his big monster hits or his big monster creative endeavors, um, to me, was Ex Machina and Annihilation. Now, granted, Annihilation is based on a series of books, but he adapted the first book, I believe, into the movie that we watched a couple years ago. Ex Machina is completely his, and it just, it's amazing. It's an amazing, amazing film. And just like in the films, you can talk about what it's about. You can give it a three-sentence description. I can see how devs fits better in a television format because there's so much thick information you're dealing with that you need that much time to spread out all that information. It's funny because it makes me think, because uh, I, I recently I've been working on a um, Rise of Skywalker book review, which which I, I uploaded a, a little bit ago. And 
one of my biggest complaints was that they were trying to cram too much into a two-hour movie and that that should have been broken up into two to be able to properly spread out all this information. This is a perfect example of you could kind of picture how you take this story and you say, well, let's make a movie out of it. Okay, we'll make a movie out of it. But you would have to rush so much to be able to tell the story properly. The basic description or the way that this show begins, if you will, is it's kind of like a murder mystery. Okay, it's a murder mystery. But what's deep about the mystery, what's deeper and more insidious, let's say, is that not only is it, well, is it some kind of shadowy government, weird mystery, conspiracy theory kind of mystery, then it's kind of more of a tech company, a tech world secret mystery, suspense. By the time you get to, I don't know, the second episode, hell, even the first episode, you have enough clues that you're dealing with something else here. This is a technology that is being worked on in this Think of it as a, uh, you know, like as a Facebook or a Microsoft or some kind of big, big, big Google-ish kind of tech company that is researching into something having to do with either time travel or predicting the future or something really strange that develops throughout all the episodes. You have a main character named Lily, who's a software engineer working at this company. The company's name is Amaya. And then you have the owner of the company, who is this recluse, weird, eccentric, bizarre kind of guy named Forrest, played by Nick Offerman of Parks and Rec fame. Now, her boyfriend, you know, they live together, is on his first day on the job, where he gets to move up to a specific division of the company. The devs division, which is the, the creme de la creme, if you will, of the research high-tech branch of this massive company. And apparently he dies in a very strange way. Now, it's going to be very difficult not to spoil this for you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try my best. But the series goes in so many different directions. As she is trying to figure out how he died. And it ends up, I mean... At first, you know, there's footage of what happened to him, of him, like, walking at night into a, like, a park kind of area, deserted, it's night, nobody's around, and he basically kind of sets himself on fire and just drops dead. But then we kind of find out that, no, something else happened here that then resulted in somebody lighting him on fire, but he was killed in a different manner. He was actually murdered. So... She's trying to figure out why her boyfriend was killed. At the same time, we start to look into the fact that they are doing some really strange, bizarre research within this division of the company. Research that involves being able to visually, through a monitor, through a computer screen, through a projection, observe historical events as they were happening. As if you had a camera nearby. And one of the earliest visions that they get to see is Jesus' crucifixion. It's very vague. You know, as the episodes progress, the image gets better and better. It gets completely realistic as if you had a camera. At first, it's a very blurry, snowy picture of something. And you have to kind of tell, is that who I think it is? Or is that... Now, granted, you... 
they can't give you the too much of the methodology of, of how the MacGuffin works. You just have to accept that the MacGuffin is working. And you have all these software engineers that are working on it. And they're very, again, they're also very eccentric people. We meet a pair of them that are kind of like a team and they're very different personalities and, you know, super like genius types of individuals. We also meet Forrest's like number two person who is the same actress from uh, Picard. Uh, her name is, let's see, Alison Pill. She has a uh, an interesting, similar, not similar role, but you could kind of see her acting is, is a pretty similar kind of acting that she has. Again, we also see her background as being a a very smart engineer who's kind of like looking out for Forrest. Then you have Kenton, who's the head of security, who is the enforcer. He's the guy that's basically killing a lot of people in this series. Anybody that gets in the way of the project, anybody who is trying to investigate the project, there are built into this story corporate spies, Russian corporate spies who are also trying to get things done. It is so trippy. But you're going to get to certain episodes where you realize that this device is not just something that you can peek into things, but not only is it letting you look at the past, it also lets you look at the future. And that's where things go just haywire because a lot of things that are happening seem to be predetermined or not predetermined. And everything seems to stem. In other words, the motivation for everything, for this company existing and and this particular experiment being done and this research and everything stems back to, to a traumatic event in Forrest's life where he was on the phone with his wife while she was driving and she got distracted by the phone call and a car basically t-bones her car killing her and his daughter and that seems to be the motivating factor here of his research is that he wants to know for sure whether or not it was his fault or it was predetermined again we're going back to these this determinism questions as you get closer to the end of the series the the later episodes you go into some deep deep um, kind of flashbacky sequences of of being in in a college class and a professor explaining to the students the difference between determinism and I forget what the other one is called, but whether or not everything is predetermined or whether or not you have free will. And these two competing schools of thought, they're both philosophical and scientific schools of thought where Forrest is trying to make sure or he wants to prove, that it's all predetermined, that no matter what happens, things are going to go a certain way. This way he can get the guilt off of him of what happened, as opposed to admitting that his daughter died because of him making that phone call. He was the catalyst that caused that particular incident. And as we get closer and closer to the end of the series, it is a gigantic mind cluster, whatever you want to call it, because they put all these theories to test, resulting in something that is just, oh my God, we're talking multiverses here. We're talking multiple realities happening at the same time, individuals being stuck in certain realities as a result of not being in one or the other. Things having to do with resurrections, where if you die... 
you can then exist somewhere else. It is not exactly a heaven concept. It's a scientific version, I guess you could call it, of a heaven concept. Maybe. Maybe. But what I loved about this series the most is the fact that every episode opens like another petal in a flower, if you will. And another petal opens up. And and just when you know, okay, I, I think I got it. I think I'm following what is happening here. Then the other episode comes along and it's like, oh my God, I never thought of that. This is even bigger. This is an even bigger story than you think. The actors are great. Most of them are unknown. I mean, Nick Offerman is probably the most known one because he's traditionally a comedic actor from what we've seen. And he's playing such a serious, crazy role here. Alison Pill, yeah, recognizable because she was, again, I just saw her in Picard. So it's like, oh, that's the same girl from Picard. Okay, fine. But here's one that's really strange. The two engineer kind of buddies. Let me see. Their names are Lyndon and Stuart. Lyndon, for some reason... And I, I wasn't sure if it had anything to do with the plot as a male character. They're both male characters. However, Lyndon is played by a woman, an, an actress, made to look more male as possible. Short hair, dressed like a man. So I don't understand and I don't think, from what I've seen, I don't think it has anything to do with the role. The very short thing that I've heard was that the director was very impressed by this particular actress's abilities, that he wanted her to play a male character, but it has nothing to do with the role. It's really unusual. And I, I, after a while, I'm like, well, does this have to do anything with the story? But no. And it's a good thing I found out after the fact, because it would have driven me crazy trying to figure out plot-wise how that would turn, especially when you're dealing with a multiverse type of thing, unless he's planning on something for the future. Now, unfortunately, I haven't seen anything about this going into a second season or second series. You know, we're, we're getting on that British bandwagon pretty well here. So... I don't know if this is going to continue. This is sweet, sweet, sweet science fiction. It's smart science fiction. It's the kind of science fiction that I love the most because, as I mentioned, I watch this. I love popcorn movies. Don't get me wrong. I love superhero movies. I love Star Wars. I love, But I also love the ones that make you think. The ones that strain your brain. This is one of these things that strains your brain. And... As you progress with the story, you just like you find these deeper levels of it. And it's like, oh my God, I never thought of that. This is bigger than it was last. Like this episode, you thought you had it all, you know, wrapped around your arms or wrapped around the story. And then you're like, oh crap, I better open my arms a little more because there is so much more. Oh my God. And that story kept getting bigger and bigger. And they, they worked it pretty well. Like I said, you start off with just being able to look at the past. There's a scene where in, in in the middle of the series where a government representative comes in, a senator or something, and they want more information on the project, you know, in order to be able to continue to fund them or continue to do whatever it is that they're doing, oversight or whatever. And they're trying to get, you know, what's this devs thing we keep hearing about? What's this devs thing? And he's like, well, it's a de- development type of thing. And then they're like, well, is it kind of like... He's dodging. He's dodging the question as much as possible. And the implication comes up or the suggestion comes up that, well, would this be able to help us, for example, uh, see where like 
the stock market goes, see trends having to do with business. And he was like, yeah, yeah, that, that would work, you know. So you could kind of, it's funny because you could tell that he's kind of throwing them a bone. But at the time, you're like, oh, wow. So, okay, so here's what we're talking about. He, it's, a, it's something to manipulate business. It's like, no, it's not. That's just one of the, that's one possibility of what it could do. But again, as you get with the story progressing, no, it's it's that, but it's more. And then it's more. And it is just insane how this works. Again, I'm not going to spoil the ending because that last episode gives you so much more and it brings it to a whole other level where you're like, wait a minute, we're dealing in quantum physics here. We're dealing in things that I haven't, I don't have the brain power to compute. I can scratch the surface. Like when I'm reading these books, you know, this, this Star Trek book I was just telling you about, you start to read all these theories of the multiverses and all this other stuff and how, how these things work and how they could work. Again, this is all theoretical physics here. And it's just, it makes your mind hurt. And you can't go too deep because it, it's very dry. It's very theoretical. It's like medicine. When you take the medicine and wrap it around a nice chocolate bar <laughs> or a nice sweet pill, this is what you get. You get a very suspenseful thriller. It's a thriller no matter what. There is a, this is a, a very, you know, thriller-ish kind of story submerged in science fiction smart modern science fiction completely recommended this was originally on hulu i'm sure pretty soon it's going to be thrown uh, on dvd somewhere there's definitely ways of downloading this through the internet but i strongly recommend it the music is very good the sound effects are really really interesting there is so much more hidden messages or hidden meanings in the story that I had to go on the internet. And I think, I don't know if I mentioned this, I probably did. I don't know. I don't remember anymore, but where you finish watching something and you're like, okay, now I have to go on the internet and, and type so-and-so explained. And then you get all these like Easter eggy type of hints of things that were giving you clues of what was happening. But there is so much cool, interesting, hidden features having to do with this particular story that will will really get you you know more information and this is a hard one to think about in terms of would it be really smart to do a second series and i'm not sure i have a feeling this is it i have a feeling that this was the story that they wanted to tell you never know if the offer was ever thrown or will be thrown to continue with it. Obviously, everything has to do with ratings. I have no idea what kind of ratings it got, but I think it got pretty good reviews, at least critical reviews. Again, file this under smart science fiction. You won't be disappointed. The second show I want to look at is called Raised by Wolves. Now, this is a show that is produced by Ridley Scott. However, it was not created by Ridley Scott. Uh, there's a different creator. His name is Aaron Kozawowski. And from what I understand, he pitched the show and Scott jumped on the opportunity to be a part of it. However, when you watch this show, it has Ridley Scott written all over it. Let me go over a little bit of what the story is. So it's the, you know, future and the world is pretty much decimated from war. There seem to be two factions at play here. 
One are a religious faction known as the Mithraic, and the other is an atheist faction. Now, thrown into the middle of this whole thing is the fact that the religious faction is using this weapon to be able to destroy the atheist faction, which is more or less an AI that is capable of some extraordinary powers, not only flying, but it could just destroy its enemies with like rays and sound waves and all kinds of, you know, extra strength and everything like that. So it's pretty crazy that they have this weapon. Well, in the story, what's happened is that because of the escalation of this war, the atheist faction decided to just bomb everything. And now the world is pretty much becoming useless. It is polluted and it is basically on fire. So the premise of the show is an arc that leaves that messed up world to escape and to go to another planet to kind of restart over humanity. However, we also meet pretty much more or less at the same time, a smaller ship that is carrying what appears to be two androids to also go to this world to try to colonize it again with the same intent of restarting humanity. What's different about these two droids is that one of them is a typical, you know, based on the show, AI type of android. But the second one is what they call a necromancer, which is these weaponized androids from the religious sect. But <laughs> their mission is also they're carrying embryos, human embryos, to be able to repopulate a new planet. And you could say that the show is about the misadventures of repopulating a planet with a whole bunch of embryos. First couple of episodes are very intense in terms of, wow, they get there and they get to work. They're scientifically able to, especially the one that's called Mother. There's Mother and Father. That's the name of the two androids. But what's different is that whereby the androids of, you know, these two androids normally would have been part of the religious sect, their whole thing is to raise the children that they're about to more or less give birth to as atheists. So these are androids that have been altered in some shape or form by the atheist sect. The male android has no special powers other than its android powers, which are way more, you know, than a typical human. The female one, the mother, she is really out there because she does have this ability. And the way that they do it is that if she switches her eyes, she has a spare set of eyes, if you will. <laughs> and if she puts on those special eyes, holy crap, she turns into this like bronze statue that flies and shoots and destroys anything in sight. It's something else. Well, what's happening is that they start to raise these children that are birthed. But little by little, year after year, they start to die off. And they kind of figured out after a while that it's it's some of the plant life I think they were eating might have been radioactive or something. But they're down to just one kid. So now in the process, in this process, we learn about the ship that's coming. And because they're already down to only one child, his name is Campion, 
mother figures that, you know what, I'm going to go intercept this ship that's coming because in her point of view, they're the enemy coming towards them. But as she goes in there and it starts to destroy the ship from the inside, which is an unbelievable scene, how they do that. That's probably the, the highlight of the show, that whole sequence. She brings back five other children to kind of supplement the ones that have died already. Back to Kepler-22b, I think that's the name of the planet they're, they're supposed to be on. And by the way, this is the 22nd century, so it's not too long from now, really, if you think about it. So she brings back these kids, and now they are kind of trying to restart their family. But Campion is already kind of having issues with that sort of thing. We then learn a little, again, this is the, every episode gives you more background and more background and more background. It's an interesting way how the story is being told, because you're being told a, a narrative story, but you're being also given these background chunks. And in a way, this show reminds me a lot of Lost, of how they're piecing together the background as you move forward, you know, when you're telling the story. The other important group of people that we meet are Sue and Marcus, or Mary and Caleb, depending on what name they're using. And these are two atheist soldiers, let's say, who took on the persona. They killed two other religious soldiers and took their personalities. They altered their faces to look like them. Again, this is all the future, so you could do that sort of thing. In order to be able to take a spot in the ship, in this ark that's leaving Earth. And while they're on this very long trip... They have a son, you know, the people that they killed have a son. So they're impersonating being the parents of this kid. This kid happens to also be one of the kids that is removed from the ship when mother attacks. So in the long time that it took them to arrive to this location, because they're all under this kind of um, suspended animation state as they travel to their location, they're able to communicate with each other and they're able to kind of interact and keep active in a virtual manner. So they get to kind of know their fake son, if you will, and, and kind of fool him into thinking who they are or who they perceive to be. Well, as they arrive, you know, as everything starts falling apart, you know, they go there and they start to figure out, you know, where the hell is everybody? What happened? The ship is completely destroyed. There's a few survivors, and now they are kind of trying to lie their way through the survivors. And eventually, uh, Marcus becomes the leader of that group, and he goes completely nuts in terms of doing a 180 from being an atheist uh, soldier to kind of leading this religious sect now in this new world, trying to locate their the children that were stolen. There's so much crazy stuff going on in this show. Again, I can't, I've already talked about it for about 10 minutes, and I've only gotten maybe about the first three episodes. Let me talk a little bit about the aesthetics of the show. The art director and the cinematographer are Ridley Scott people. They're the ones who did, aside from many others, Prometheus and Covenant. This show looks like it could be in that world. There are things that happen in this show that looks like in, it's in that world. The overall structure of the show, the overall theme of the show is really religion versus atheism. It's the creation story. It's a lot of the things that consciously or subconsciously Ridley Scott has been trying to touch upon with Prometheus and Covenant. But he's doing it now 
in a serious format. There are just so many aspects of the story that are reminiscent of so many religious themes. The overall thing being mother and father, they're in a harsh environment, but the other side of this planet, apparently there is a lush environment, more of a jungle, tropical area. There is something about a snake that you just have to go with and watch, having to do with there are these um, gigantic skeletons of giant snake-looking creatures all over some of the areas. And there are these tunnels that looks like these gigantic snakes might have dug that seem to go endlessly into the earth. Going back to these overall themes, you have these mother and father, kind of like an Adam and Eve. They're there to repopulate this promised land kind of setting. They eventually want to find their ways to the tropical area, the garden, if you will. And there is a snake. There is a snake at some point in this series, closer to the end, that it's just going to be, it's, it's just so nuts that... Wow, it's definitely the uh, the cliffhanger that's going to bring us to a second season. They already did announce a second season, so that's good. The special effects are incredible. I mean, this is this is movie quality. This is motion picture quality effects. I love the acting. The people that are playing the droids, they're they're so good at what they're doing. We find out stuff about how she was reprogrammed by an atheist and the special instructions that he gave her. There are other things happening in this planet that is completely unexplainable at the time. But again, it's one of these things where the harder you think, it's not that it's a smart show the way that Devs is. This is more of a manufactured, we're planting all these pieces and the the clues are going to be there for you. You just have to be able to step away, really far away, to look at the big picture. It's kind of like that. It it does see to me. It seems so reminiscent of the of these last two Alien films because they're 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 painting a mural, if you will. But you're not. You're only watching a very close up of an image in a mural. But if you were to take a couple of steps back, the mural gets bigger, and you understand the story being told more. And this is exactly how this show is being presented there are other creatures that they're finding in this planet that they didn't know they were these very wild beasts looking creatures that attack everything and then there's another creature that they find that seems to be something that's dehumanizing that it's something that is like devolving from a more advanced version to a less advanced version and i'm thinking well maybe this is maybe those other creatures are the the end product of those creatures you know i don't know there are all kinds of, you know, when, when in this kind of a show, again, it's different than devs because in devs you're following the science and the science is what gives you a very scientific answer to what's happening. This show is purposely, it is purposely having that fight between religion and science where you get to a point where you think, okay, I can scientifically explain some of these things, biologically explain some of these things, but you do get to certain points where it's like, wait a minute, this is just nuts. This is not science anymore. We're now dealing with supernatural or religious. Again, when you throw the religious aspect, everything goes out the window. And it's it's very, you know, Ridley Scottish, if you will, in a way. You have these incidents that happen where you can go either way. You could say, 
Well, this happened because of that, or this happened because of some divine intervention that's taking place. Or is it an alien intervention that's taking place? Are these people being manipulated by an entity that they're not aware of yet because of this planet? Or is this the religion? Is this the religious aspect of whatever it is that, you know, these people believe or sort of believe or used to believe or something like that? It could go in so many different directions. There's another character at some point that is pregnant and... Again, you get that whole, she really doesn't have, there is no father. The father was somebody who was like a, she believes it was somebody who was, who raped her during this sleep cycle that they were under, which is apparently something that might happen on these long-term trips. And this is a guy who was a, a prisoner. Wait till you see what happens to him. Mother, again, she ends up in a situation where she is growing a being inside her. And again, it mimics this whole religious, you know, Judeo-Christian kind of allegories going through all of these things that are happening. Again, you have your Adam and Eve, you have your Garden of Eden, and you have your snake. It is so wild. There's another point in the series where some of these um, religious sect people are, are like wandering through a desert kind of environment and they find this, I forget what they called it, it's like a like a 12-sided dice <laughs> <laughs> a 12-sided die in Dungeons and Dragons, but it's gigantic. It's some kind of a stone monument, or or maybe it's a vehicle, we don't know. But something is living inside of it, and there's heat created, and all these religious people are there touching it, and the thing acts reacts differently to it. And then there's a point where Mother has some kind of a vision. Again, there's, there's visions in this show, which again brings you to this whole lost thing of like, you know, lost, you would get to a certain point where you thought you kind of had your hands around, you know, your arms around the story. And then you're like, oh crap, now they throw this at me. It goes out the window. She's having these visions of what appears to be a creature inside one of those 12-sided spheres, much smaller, the size of a person, and then she is removes like a helmet. And when I saw that helmet being removed, I'm like, oh my God, this looks like the uh, the engineer helmets from from uh, Prometheus. <laughs> and inside there looks like to be some kind of a, I don't know if it's an android or, or, or a cre- or a beam or a combination of the two. I don't know. It's, again, th- this is one of those jumping off points for the next season. They're throwing you something to kind of just rattle your mind. It's a wild show. Let's put it that way. I love the Ridley Scott influence. I believe his son actually might have directed a few of them. If it is, let's see. Luke Scott is the son of Ridley Scott. So I'm really glad that they're so involved in this show. And I'm really surprised that they were able to take such a lead. I mean, granted, if somebody taps you in the shoulder and says, hey, that idea you have, Ridley Scott's interested in it. Of course, you're going to run all over it. Yes, sure, sir. Do it. Go ahead. (laughs) It's just really a... It's a win-win as far as I'm concerned. And I'm also glad the fact that if for whatever reason Ridley Scott is not able to continue with his alien films, to continue to tell that story, because that story is definitely heading somewhere. I mean, we know it's heading somewhere, and and you know he's touching on or he's trying to graze very strong religious iconography all through these films, that in this show, he's going right for it. I don't know how much of the story has been changed. Uh, I don't know how much he was able to modify the, the story itself as a producer. Uh, I don't know how much of it they're taking from the original story. I did read a quick little article somewhere about how he 
really didn't want to go too much alien into it. But I see it. It's there. It's there. It's so, so clear. The look of the show, the light, like I said before, the lighting and the cinematography, the set design, it, it, this could be, you know, a TV version of something that's taking place in the alien world, in the alien universe, if you will. The actors are not that well known. I only recognize one because he was the lead actor in, I think, Vikings, a series, a cable series, which, again, I have, I've never seen it, but I am aware of him. Uh, his name is Travis Fimmel, uh, the actor's name. The most impressive, as far as the acting goes to me, goes to the two leads who play the droids, Amanda Collin and Abubakar Salim. They have it so well their physical uh, movement, their delivery of their speech, obviously. You see so much of David in that. There is there is that aesthetic, that action, that acting. That to me, it reminds me uh, a, a lot of the David character. And once again, the, the, the big danger of this particular show, I think, is that they hopefully have a set direction that they're going for. As much as I love Lost, I hope it doesn't turn into Lost, because Lost got to a point where it looks like they were making it up as they went along. As long as this show sticks to their idea, and granted, because this is an HBO Max show, again, this isn't even HBO, this is HBO Max, you never know how long these things are going to last. They're not going to get seven seasons out of this. You're lucky if you get three or two. I mean, the fact that you're they've already been renewed is great, but it's still kind of rare that you know that you are allowed to continue with a show i hope that they have a set end for it and they kind of do it at their own pace and don't try to stretch the show for the sake of stretching it or anything like that so i'm looking forward to the return of the show at some point i guess a year from now more or less but wow this has been one again this has been one of those shows just like Debs that i finished watching an episode and i'm like oh my god what's What's the next? What are they going to do on the next one? How, what the hell was that whole sequence about? And that's one of the slight pitfalls of this show is that sometimes they give you something that is so out there that it just kind of like, it's like building a sandcastle. You're, you're, every episode you build that sandcastle and then at the end of the episode, the wave comes in and just crushes it. Because just when you think you got it. And you're kind of like, all right, I get this. I understand where I am. I understand what's happening. They throw a monkey wrench and and that wave comes to wash over the sandcastle. And then you have another episode where you're building a sandcastle. So that's the only part of this that kind of bugs me a little bit. Don't get me wrong. When I was watching Debs, you do have those moments too. However, every time that they give you in devs another layer of what's happening it's founded on some scientific principle on something yes very difficult to understand at times but plausible in terms of explainable here because you're dealing in the faith religious maybe supernatural element it's kind of like yeah whatever <laughs> you know what i mean the the shock of of whatever you think you understand gets you know the the rug gets pulled from under you so easily by the whatever so it's kind of like oh man damn it you know i got to start from scratch again rather than building on something that already exists one quick note about this show if you want to learn a little more a little more background information into it there is a free comic a digital comic that you can find on comicsology.com. Again, it's a free issue 
I think it's a standalone. I wish they would make more. That gives you a lot, a lot of background into the things uh, that happened earlier in the story when they first arrived at the planet. So, again, you're dealing with two science fiction shows. This one is less science and more fiction, if you will. And there's a very, very heavy, you know, science versus religion aspect to it, where religion is very, very important. And you could say religion is very real in, in, in this particular show. Definitely the, the, the characters, you know, you're, you're, you're dealing with two factions that are completely opposite of each other when it comes to that whole thing. And again, I don't want to ruin the end of the show or the end of this, this particular first season, but man, do they have other surprises for you towards the end. I strongly recommend this show and Debs for you guys. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. And it is not often that we have two really good sci-fi shows to talk about uh, that are basically more or less were airing around the same time. I really wish they would go further with these shows. As I mentioned before, probably not with Debs, definitely Raised by Wolves. They did announce, you know, a, a second season, at least, they're going to go for. Uh, Debs could go either way, because I would love to see more exploring this world of technology. But the way that the show is structured, it does have a nice, trippy conclusion to it. So... On behalf of everyone here, thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you soon here at GeekFest Rants. Bye-bye, everybody.
to subscribe to our show, send us messages, or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today, please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com or our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or iTunes at Geekfest Rants. I don't know what we're yelling about! Geekfest Rants is produced by Carlos Perone, copyright 2020. This broadcast is part of the IC Robots radio network. Visit icrobots.com for this and many other nerd slash nostalgia related podcasts. You won't be sorry for long.